Thanks for joining us for the Digital Leaders Podcast, where leaders of the digital economy share business advice from their professional experiences. Our guest today is John O'Sullivan, who is the Business Development Manager at Project Arc, which is a startup using digital assets in the form of NFTs to fund conservation efforts around the world. In the two years since it was founded, Project Arc has collaborated with renowned conservation groups such as the World Wildlife Fund to foster environmental innovation. John joins us today to discuss how technology can be leveraged for collaborative partnerships. Oh, it looks like John is ready. Let's get started. Well, I'll be honest with you, it's uh, working in the Web3 blockchain space is a bit different than my typical career. So my background is traditionally in international development. I spent about the last uh, decade working with entrepreneurs whose products and services sort of solve a social challenge. I've predominantly been focused on uh, women's empowerment issues and indigenous rights. So I spent time working in Sri Lanka after the civil war ended with the uh, women of the future garment sector. I spent about a year and a half, two years working with uh, entrepreneurs in Kenya, as well as uh, an indigenous group uh, called the IC Maasai Development Initiative. Uh, absolutely amazing group of people. And I've worked for the UN Special Advisor on Prevention of Genocide uh, on Indigenous Rights. So I'm very much of the opinion that uh, you need to identify, especially, you got to understand, I'm a white Westerner. So no, don't nobody want to dictate a strategy on what is development or what is success. So you simply identify the need and you mobilize resources and training and partnerships to help people help themselves. So that's where I came from. Now, about two and a half years ago, I entered the Web3 blockchain space, basically through a fortuitous TED Talk that we had hosted in China, where one of the directors of the World Wildlife Fund had told us a story about holding an endangered rhino, a baby rhino, in her arms while it died. And now hearing that you know millions of years of evolution were going to end in your arms is a story that just punched me in the gut. And so I quickly became a blockchain Web3 evangelical. And we believe that, uh, you know, we can no longer wait for governments, NGOs, or companies to do the right thing. We have the opportunity to educate, inspire, and call people to action and create communities that not only have financial liquidity, but political capital as well, where you can create, you know, groups of people that are mission-aligned, ethos-driven, that want to be a part of something greater than oneself. And so I would describe myself as simply a facilitator and a, uh, you know, just somebody who found an incredible technology that can change charity to investment. You know, it's no longer a donation-based system where you're waiting for, you know, sorry, you donate $10 and get a, you know, a nice little email that goes straight to your spam folder. When you donate to an NGO, you can buy an NFT, join a community, and watch that project evolve on the ground and be attached to the successes and failures of it as time goes on. So how would I describe myself? I don't think there is quite a word yet because uh, living in crypto is like uh, drinking water through a fire hose, the amount of information that comes at you every day. So it's a brand new space and uh, it's a frustrating, incredible, uh, exciting space. But uh, it, is a, it is a far cry from you know, the career that I once had. But uh, it's exciting because it, it presents, quite honestly, the greatest technological ro- revolution I've ever seen for the impact space. 
Wow. Pleasure to have you here, John. You, you told an amazing story just now about the baby rhino dying in that person's arms. And there's a piece of that story that, that I'm not sure if I'm making the connection. What, what is the connection between blockchain and, and saving animal? So I'll put it to you this way. So I spoke for quite honestly, I'd say like eight to 10 months, solid, five impact projects around the world. We're partnered right now with the World Wildlife Fund as well as about 12 other impact organizations around the world, including, um, you know, the Peace Parks Foundation, which is the largest conservation area in Africa for, it has a large population of a major rhino, elephant, and giraffe. Basically, we have the opportunity with NFTs to not only diversify the, the income streams for these projects, but also help them tell a story. Because again, the average person donates because they're a rich guy who wants a tax break or the brand value. Or you, you know, feel a bit of guilt and you're passionate about a cause and you donate 50, 100 bucks a month and whatever. It, again, you get your email, a newsletter that updates you, and that's not enough. I think that with NFTs and experiential digital art, we can educate and inspire, and call people to action and provide community where people genuinely feel like they are a part of that project. It's a, it's a scary thought to think that NGOs spend two-thirds of their time fundraising. It's a scary thought that people with multiple PhDs who are experts in their field are courting rich guys and are fearful of even talking about their failures uh, because they're scared about losing their next grant fund. That's not okay. And we, we're going through it right now, and I know a lot of people are aware, but not many are, the world's sixth mass extinction event. We're losing 150-plus species a day of plant, animal, and insect. We have less than seven years before, before we reach the irreversible tipping point on climate change. We don't have time anymore. Simple as that. So this is technology that is arguably presenting us with an opportunity to have the greatest wealth transfer in modern history. We have hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars in liquidity that are not under the thumb of a government, a company, or an NGO. Hmm. If you have a concerted group of people that want to achieve a certain goal, that can pool their resources, make money in the process it's not charity it's an investment which is an incentivization thing that has never existed before right so how does it help animals i'll give you an example project dark has facilitated the relocation of four endangered leopards to mozambique we facilitated the uh the building of nests for the endangered south african penguin we have facilitated the reintroduction of the endangered european bison back into the carpathian wilderness in romania which is Europe's largest land mammal and went extinct in the wild in 1920. And then we helped train uh, hundreds of traditional hunters. And uh, basically, like, you got to listen to this story from the WWF themselves, but basically Cold War vets that are living deep in the woods that have been hunting for generations. And we, the WWF taught them to be conservationists, frontline data collectors, to understand the birthing uh, systems of every different animal in the forest and to become the absolute seminal source on wildlife, forestry, and animal management in the space. So what an incredible project, right? Because conservation is never an animal problem. It's a human problem 100% of the time. And unless you have programs that create new opportunities for local communities to share in the wealth creation that comes from you know, conservation, you will always have people taking back from the system just to survive, which who are we to blame them? So how does it help? It's a new form of liquidity. 
It's unfettered liquidity because they can do what they know is right with the money that they get. And more importantly, I would say it's political capital because art is political. Money is power. When you have a community behind it, you have a movement. And that's where the magic is. It's not, it's not in the million dollars you raised. It's in the 30 to 50,000 people that are tweeting, caring, sharing, and actively engaged in the success of the people and the communities on the ground that are fighting for the projects they support. Wow. Yeah, that's amazing. You've definitely been able to accomplish quite a bit. It reminds me of the first conversation that we had. So when we spoke offline that first time, you mentioned your company, Project Doc, and actually the company is only two years old, I think, but you've accomplished just a tremendous amount in such a short time. In fact, there were two partnerships that really stand out to me. Um, that's the work that you were doing with the WWF uh, World Wildlife Fund and the, the government of Greenland. So before we get too deep into our topic around how startups can leverage technology in a collaborative process, much like you're doing, could you tell us a bit about those partnerships and how, how those projects are going? So, so that World Wildlife Fund uh, partnership was through a group called Panda Lab Division, which is a group within the World Wildlife Fund, which is responsible for turning communities into conservation. So again, it's focusing on that human aspect because again, unless you engage local community lives in and around these endangered species, you're not going to have success. Mm -hmm. And so they're active in about 14 countries around the world and they're struggling for funding. It's a sad fact that, um, you know, we have to wait for the generosity of people to protect the world around, even though we're all dependent upon the biosphere through which we're trying to protect. And so that first project was the reintroduction of the endangered European bison. Mm -hmm. And basically, since the WWF started, I think in 2016, there's the largest population of wild bison in Romania, in the Carpathian wilderness, which is the largest, most biodiverse forest in uh, Europe uh, in almost 200 years. So 200 years since we've had that level of uh, bison, Roman free, with, with enough genetic diversity to actually have you know, offspring that can continue on the herd. And it wasn't about reintroducing a bison because you could, you, could, you could put an animal out in the field any day of the week, right? But unless you engage the local, and again, the Carpathians are pretty much the, one of the predominant sources of income was hunting and trapping, you had to engage them. And so there's a wonderful woman named Alexandra who is from the World Wildlife Fund and Pandalas Division, and she had to go deep into Carpathians and have, have some vodka with these old, grizzled hunters <laughs> in in the woods of Romania. And the only way she convinced them that this was a good idea was to say, let's have a drink, let's figure it out. And now since then, these hunters are making more money by doing uh, ecotourism tours, essentially, with uh, you know all sorts of different European tourists to show them the, you know, the biodiversity of the Carpathian. When they used to just go out and shoot something, skin it, and sell it, now they can actually say, this is what this animal is. This is what that animal is. It's, it's an incredible chain that literally is hundreds of years in the making, which is a generational turnover. So that was our first project with the WWF. Since then, the, the World Wildlife Fund, as with many international NGOs, have been somewhat apprehensive with NFTs because of uh, the optics that come with the emissions question. Okay. Now, we never had that question because... We did the, our Genesis project on Polygon, which is 99.8% more efficient than Ethereum. And since then, we moved to Solana, which is the entire Solana ecosystem, which is tens of billions of dollars. 
has the emissions profile of 1,000 U.S. domestic households in a year, which is, quite honestly, nothing. If I can raise $20 million and it's the equivalent of a cruise ship traveling five kilometers, what's the cost-benefit analysis there, right? Clearly, I want to, you know, do what's right. And then the Greenland Project is something very exciting. This is uh, something that we're calling the Greenverse. Basically, every company on Earth right now is uh, exploring the opportunity of what is the metaverse? How do I get involved? Should I get involved? When do I get involved? Where do I get involved? Nobody knows what they're talking about. (laughs) It's evolving so quick. And all of these companies are increasingly under what's called ESG sustainability obligations. So all of these companies have to either mitigate, offset, or take active measures to, you know, reduce their carbon footprint. Mm -hmm. And so how do we solve both those problems with one solution? And that spurred on a conversation with the government of Greenland, who took a very bold step to ban all oil and gas exploration by the year 2030. Now, the last company that was awarded oil and and gas exploration rights uh, basically has every right to drill for 3 billion barrels of oil underneath 800,000 square hectares of land in what's called the Jameson Basin. That's a lot of oil. 3 billion barrels is nothing to scoff at. That's hundreds and hundreds of thousands of tons of carbon. Mm-hmm. What we're going to do is we're going to buy back the drilling rights. We're going to tokenize those 3 billion barrels of oil. We're going to pair it up with land in the metaverse, not only the metaverse we're creating, but also the metaverses that are already existing, like Decentraland, Superworld, uh, Sandbox. And we're going to help these companies not only onboard in the metaverse to get all the brand value that they want, but also meet their ESG sustainability metrics. We're calling it a preserve-to-earn model. And basically, I think one of the biggest problems on the impact in green space is that everybody wants to stand on their soapbox and say, you got to do this, and you got to do that, and you can't do this, and you can't do that. I'm not here to argue. We don't have time. If I can take up hundreds of millions of dollars from from Fortune 500 companies and put it back into communities to, to support biodiversity projects, sustainability projects, a tree planting projects, then let's do it because it needs to happen. So this month, we're buying back you know, the drilling rights to 3 billion barrels of oil, but this preserved to earn model could next month work with 50,000 indigenous members in the Amazon to protect X amount of acres from uh, you know, industrial agriculture or deforestation. Or we could work with the coastal community and buy up X amount of miles of coastline to prevent commercial fishing trawling to protect the reef. There is no shortage of communities and ecosystems in this world that are under threat of extractive industry. And it's not just about the liquidity that we can put in their pockets to protect that land, because it's an unfortunate fact that a forest doesn't have value until it's cut down, which is a messed up you know, mindset to have, but we can change that now. It's not just about the financial liquidity, though. It's about the financial, sorry, the human capital. Because if I have 50,000 NFT holders tweeting about what a mining company is trying to do in Panama or Peru, well, then I'm shining a light on a lot of the, you know, pardon my French, but bullshit that these companies are trying to pull. It's a lot harder to get away with illegal or unscrupulous or immoral things when there is a social media spotlight on it, right? Absolutely. And that is the power of Web3. So we can put money in the pockets of communities that are fighting the powers that be, and we can give them a backing of people that are telling stories. And everything we do in this world is a story. It's a narrative, right? And compel people to feel attached and connected to that community. Because the vast majority of the world will never have the opportunity to go to the Amazon or meet an indigenous person. But if I can give them the best possible experience I can that is close to via their desktop, headset, or mobile phone, 
well, then we're doing our job, right? I, I really like where this conversation is going. And, and th thank you very much for sharing that information about those projects that you're running. You said something that was really interesting to me, and I, I've never heard that term before, preserve to earn. Can you go a little deeper into that and tell me exactly how that works? So here's the, here's the fact of the matter is that if you're a landowner and there's resources on it, how do you earn money? You sell mm -hmm. it, you develop it, you destroy it. We don't have that, lip, that luxury anymore. But at the same time, who the hell am I to tell a landowner uh, who only has the opportunity to sell the resources to create a, a basic level of income what to do with their land? That doesn't make any sense. So we need to provide them a, an alternative method of funding. And that alternative method of funding comes from tokenizing natural capital assets, creating new carbon credit economies, and selling it to the powers that be. Now, beyond just selling, you know, what's the value of a tree? What's the value of a barrel of oil locked up? Or what's the value of water? There's an increasing movement behind what's the value of a species. So McKinsey and KPMG are working on what's the value of losing elephants. Elephants and rhinos are the fertilizers of the savanna. When they eat a tree and then poop out the seeds, that spreads biodiversity. And if you kill all the elephants, what's going to happen to the ecosystem? Right? These are keystone species. So it's very easy for you know, the Western world to rationalize what is 1,000 tons of carbon. It's very hard to put a quantitative financial value on what is the value of a bee? What is the value of, of, uh, of a wolf? You know, The reintroduction of wolves into, the, into Yellowstone National Park rebalanced the entire ecosystem. We live in, an, in, a, in a chemical experiment, a Petri dish, right? And humans have thrown off that balance to the nth degree. So how do we work with local communities that are under threat of extractive industry, under threat of development, or who are tempted to give their land off for, a, you know, a temporary gain for, you know what I mean, like chopping down an acre of forest just to grow some soybean. Let's give them another value. Let's give them another opportunity where we can take money from the powers that be, we can create artistic campaigns, we can build communities behind it, and we can preserve that ecosystem. 80% of the world's biodiversity is currently stewarded by indigenous people. That's an insane statistic. 80% of the world's biodiversity is stewarded by indigenous people. And yet they are the group that are the least funded, the first to experience the effects of climate change, and the last to experience the so-called benefits of industrialization. So how do we apply Web3 technology and blockchain to give these people a new form of income so that they can continue doing the work they need to do to protect the world that we all share? Gotcha. Wow. That's super admirable. Jeez. <laughs> and you're, you're really passionate about this as well. I'm... Oh, it's funny. <laughs> My heart and soul. Yeah. My heart I, and soul. I'm, I'm kind of sorry to tear away from that topic for a little bit, but let me keep us on topic, at least for a little while. Let's go back to that issue of Web3 startups being able to leverage technology. So I know there's some people in our audience who might be just a bit unfamiliar with Web3 startups. So I'm wondering if you can explain why are collaborations important in Web3 startups? Why are partnerships important to that community? So everything in Web3 that is successful comes from what I like to call radical collaboration. Um, we are a sector that has access to hundreds of billions of dollars in liquidity, but that has very um, minute and focused investors. Nine out of 10 people in the Web3 space want to 10x their money in a month. 
And that's just the name of the game. So what you need to do is to find people that are mission aligned, ethos driven, that share what you're trying to, you know, in the vision that you're trying to create and then partner up. Because when it comes to NFTs, it's all about the collector and the community, mm -hmm. right? And so I'm of the opinion that any project out there in the Web3 space that wants to use this technology to positively impact animal, environmental, or human conservation impact, they want to create impact in the world. We're not about dividing the pie. Yeah. We're about growing the pie. A rising tide lifts all boats. We are so, so, so early in Web3. There's a percent of a percent of a percent of people that even own an NFT wallet. But it's coming. It is coming. At the end of the day, I think it's going to be built on the backs of gamification. Everybody on this planet, you know, has played a game or enjoyed N64 or Sega or Nintendo or Xbox or, or PlayStation. We all have digital, you know, assets and identity online. And now you can own that. And so when it comes to what is the value of collaboration and partnership, it's everything. And I think that a lot of people don't understand just how crazy it was when NFTs were taking off in fall 2020 and spring 2021. There's an app called Clubhouse, which basically it was the NFT app. You would get in rooms of hundreds of people, of like-minded creatives that were all looking to partner up and, and build beautiful things. But there was there's a problem with uh, mm -hmm. gatekeeping, right? So in the fine art world, if you want to get into a uh, you know a studio or a gallery, you've got to impress so and so or so and so, and there's a lot of critics, and it's all garbage. At the end of the day, whatever you create, there's somebody out there in the world that thinks that's the best thing you've ever seen in the world. And Web3 and blockchain presents the opportunity to go find that person who believes in you the most. So you can go and create the friendships and the partnerships that are necessary to just make it happen. So Web3 is a very, um, it's a very lateral, agile space to be. I always say that when you live in crypto, it's like drinking water through a fire hose with the amount of information that's coming at you every two seconds. What is true one week isn't necessarily true the next, right? So it is absolutely paramount that you find good actors in the space, that you find strong voices, strong projects, and people that you believe in, and then you make it work. You go to work and you make it happen, right? There's a lot of opportunity to innovate in this space. And the more that you partner with people that want to see you succeed, the more the success you're going to have. Simple as that. Okay, so on that topic of the collaborative process, I know that there's definitely some technology that you, you need to, to leverage to do that. And there, in my mind, there are like a few different areas that you can leverage that technology. One, we, we kind of just started talking about, so B2B partnerships. But then there's also DAOs, the Decentralized Autonomous Organizations. And then you can also use the technology, at least in my mind, to build and enable trust within your community. So I'll start with DAOs. So decentralized autonomous organizations present the opportunity, yeah. again, to really facilitate the world's greatest wealth transfer in modern history. If you get 15,000 people to pool their resources, make money in the process, and focus and vote on certain issues, that's incredible. This is, this is the ability to, to, to operate like a hedge fund. A DAO is a hedge fund. That's what it is. It's, it's pooled liquidity with voting rights. Now, the only thing with DAOs is that we haven't quite figured out how to make efficient voting structures, because as you could imagine, 15,000 people all with one vote doesn't necessarily foster quick decision making. You know what I mean? 
and it definitely, you know, you put 15,000 different people in a room and they're all going to have a varying scope of opinion as to what should and should not be done. Right. So it's a, it's a bit of a difficult thing to navigate in the Dow space, but Dow's create liquidity, which makes money off itself. So when Harvard has an endowment fund of what, $30 billion or $13 billion, some obscene amount, they're not spending the, the principal, they're spending the interest. Now, if I have $50 million in crypto as a DAO, I don't need to spend that $50 million. I can go make $1.5 million in interest by just simply having it staked or farmed and making an, an APY on my return. That's the magic of it. You have a global community that is not tethered to identity or country or regulation. And you have a capital that can be moved around uh, you know, global ecosystems to solve whatever problems you want to solve. So DAOs present a really, really incredible opportunity to give power back to the people. That's what a DAO does. It's you find your, you know, good vibes bring good tribe. You find your tribe, you pull your resources, you talk about it, you come up with some decision-making things you want to do, and then you go to work. So that's the magic of a DAO. Now you want to talk about building trust? That's a hairy question in this Web3 space. I'll be honest with you. I, I come from a background in international development and you know, I look at somebody on LinkedIn and I was like, oh, he's a good guy. I know right away he's a good guy. In Web3, it's like, okay, I've got, I've got, you know, uh, you know, Dickweed 3000 and I don't know what his name is or who he is and he's just sent me a DM. I don't know what to really think, right? <laughs> so you have to sort of create a vetting process. And the vetting process in the Web3 space is who knows this guy? Because every, and this is sort of the, the double-edged sword of blockchain. If you want to go pull a rug and if you want to defraud people and screw people over, we're going to find you because everything you do on blockchain is transparent. I can see your wallet. I know what you've done. And so a lot of people like to hide behind an alias, but that alias only gets you so far. At the end of the day, people recognize your voice, learn your name, figure you out, and you're going to get called out. So trust building is arguably one of the toughest things you could do in this space. And, you know, we, we, we've pitched to, well, partner with the WWF. We've, we we did all the NFTs for COP26. Like the UN and the World Bank and and you know major international corporations, they don't have patience for this level of nonsense, right? And so one thing that is going to be so important in the in in blockchain and Web three is that vetting process and trust building process because there are a lot of bad actors out there, and it's a sad fact, but it is what I would argue the norm with something that is so new and so fast moving, right? There's always going to be opportunists and there's always going to be, you know, bad actors yeah. trying to capitalize. When you see somebody make a hundred million dollars in two, 24 hours, it's not necessarily going to attract the best and the brightest, right? <laughs> Might attract the brightest, but not necessarily the best. So trust building is a process mm -hmm. that I would say is largely hinged upon your ability to track what they've done on the blockchain and also the, 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 the networking that you've done for those people. And now the third question you had was, B2B. Now, this B2B. is the most exciting thing for me because yeah. I am of the opinion that NFTs okay. and Web3 present the opportunity to turn corporate social responsibility from a cost center to a revenue generating center. That's an incredible thing that's never been done before. And I'll give you an example. So let's just use Nike as a company that we'll talk about. So, so when Nike goes and does a CSR project and they make a commercial about it, what do we do? We get on our phones, we scroll by, and we roll our eyes. It doesn't mean anything when you make a you make a, a little commercial about all the good you've done. 
because they spend a million dollars. It goes to the marketing team. It goes to us and we move on with our life. Now, what happens if they were to do something that was truly engaging with the consumer? So I'll give you an example. Let's say Nike built the world's largest artificial coral reef, a big Nike swoosh under the ocean. We're partnering with a wonderful organization called the Global Coalition that can build that. They will engage with the local coastal community that is often underserved and marginalized. They'll give them a technology that will not only populate that and build that reef, but also they can use it to restore other reefs. So, you know, it's an ongoing economic benefit. And then we let's say we plant 20,000 pieces of coral. We could create NFTs where we have a smart contract that is being fed data from Chainlink that would actually grow and evolve that piece of art over time, just as the coral reef itself grows. So when you buy an NFT, it's just a little gray knob. And then in one month, it's a purple knob. And then it's this big, beautiful biodiverse thing. And then a little fish starts swimming in. It's living art. When you look at your NFT, you know how that reef is doing. You know that it's growing and becoming more beautiful. But because Nike built it, you get 20% off their next Metaverse Jordans. You get access to their next Metaverse concert. So they actually have 20,000 new people that they have a direct line of connection to that they can sell, market, and get brand value from. The coastal community gets a, a big, beautiful new biodiverse uh, reef and a technology they can expand with. There's ecotourism implications. Everybody wins. Never before in human history has CSR and uh, you know business uh, you know, projects to benefit the world had the ability to bring that level of engagement with the consumer or give you a return on your investment. It's never happened. So Nike doesn't need that money back. I would hope that they would just reinvest it in a new project. But at the end of the day, that's an incredible opportunity we have this technology that has not existed before. So when you say B2B, I talk to a lot of C-suite executives, um, you know, from big company to little company, and there's a knowledge gap to be bridged. Every company on earth is worried about the optics. They're worried about, am I going to get flamed out on Twitter for this or Instagram? And I think that our obligation in the Web3 space is that we need to be stewards of the narrative in that we need to talk about the opportunity, not necessarily just the negative, because all any company or person on Twitter focuses on is what's the emissions cost of Bitcoin? That's not NFTs. It's a completely separate issue, but they get lumped in together, right? So there's a knowledge gap to be bridged. There's an opportunity to be had, and it's our duty to facilitate the best possible wins and use cases so that every company on earth can see just what is in front of them. Wow. Okay. You know, the other thing that I'm really interested in is the, the tech that's enabling all of the, this stuff to happen. So like, especially like, let's take, for example, on the trust side, what type of tech are we using to really maintain that, that level of trust? Can you speak to that? So everything's built on a smart contract, right? So all smart contracts are completely transparent and seen. So the magic of the blockchain is that it's, it's, there's nothing I could do that you couldn't see. That's what it is, right? It's it's a it's a million nodes verifying that what you said is true is true. And so when you say what is the technology, it's a broad, ambiguous question because everything's built on a smart contract. It depends on what chain you use. So Ethereum is sort of the the OG layer one solution, but you've got Algorand, you've got Tezos, you've got Solana, you've got Polygon, that's a layer two solution. You've got all these other technologies out there which are either proof of work or proof of stake. Now, the way that proof of work works is that basically, if I want to prove a node on the blockchain, it's like 14 computers rev up and they all race to prove that node. Now, only one 
computer will win. Only one miner will win. So all of those 14 computers that revved up to try to prove that node wasted energy. Proof of stake is merely certifying that you have the computing power to do so, and only one company will actually do the one computer will actually do the work. So the emissions question is quite possibly the biggest technological issue that you will face in the NFT Web3 blockchain space. But you're asking what else is out there in terms of technology to to verify that transparency right. and trust. Oh man, I don't think we're there yet. We leg- we're just not. Like there is there's no there's no Ethereum support line. Okay. I'll put it to you that way. There's no one to call when stuff goes wrong. Hey, I've been in this space for two and a half years, and even I've, you know, been defrauded and mint, like minted things where I wasted hundreds or thousands of dollars in gas. It's a crazy space, and it's gonna take time to to narrow that down. And it's kind of one of the, uh, again, I use the term double-edged sword. When there's Google and Bing and Facebook. There's three actors all sharing a similar set of, you know, obligations and regulations, and you you know who to go to. This is blockchain, baby. <laughs> like there's there's a million actors doing a million things, and it's the onus is on you to really figure out who you want to work with and what you want to do and what you want to put your money in, right? Because once you click send on that contract, there ain't no getting it back. So it's it's it, it's a tough space, but I genuinely believe that. Uh, Decentralization brings the opportunity of diverse thought and 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 co-ownership, but decentralization also brings the ability for bad actors to take advantage, right? So it's just one of the natures of a new technology. Sure. Okay. Well, t- tell me about. So I'm also interested in knowing what are your views on the future of the industry. Are, are, are oh, there man. any emerging developments in the NFT Web three space that you're looking forward to in 2022? I'm going to tell you right now, I, I, I know for a fact that Microsoft and Sony and Unreal Engine have been teaming up for years. And when these guys release what they've been working on, it's going to change the game. Because everybody on Earth is used to 4K graphics on Xbox or PlayStation, mm-hmm. right? And yet the vast majority of Web3 or blockchain games are very slapstick right it's still we don't have the computing power basically is what it is it's a hardware issue and so i think that gaming is going to push us through to the mass adoption stage i think a lot of people are going to surround themselves by games because you know if i work in hr and my life is boring but online i'm a level five thousand uh warlock ward and gangster of x amount of games with 10 million players that's a sense of pride that's a that's an online identity you know and a lot of people don't understand that, like, how we spend a third of our day on these things, and yet we own nothing. We own nothing of it. We don't own our content. We don't own what we create or what we provide. And so I think that gaming is going to really push the charge. And then I think that there's going to be a lot of people surrounding um, brand access and experiences. So a Justin Bieber concert where you know, the top 1000 people will get a little backstage pass or whatever and get to ask them a question on Zoom. Uh, That's an incredible thing that could never have been done before, right? But I do think that there is a big portion of the sector to be carved out for causes. Because what what else do you do on this phone? You start doom scrolling through all the things that are about to kill us in this world. Every day it's like, oh no, that's not good. Oh no, Roe v. Wade's repealed. It's just awful. Every day it's awful. And as a human being, you say, who am I and what can I do? I can't do shit. I don't, I, I don't know what to do. But 
with NFTs and Web3, go find what you're passionate about. Because there's 50,000 people, 100,000 people out there that share your passion. Go figure out what, what, what should be done. Nothing good in my life has ever come from, you know, an online application or sending an email. Everything good in my life came from, uh, you know, sharing a beer or a coffee and a fortuitous conversation and a handshake. It's human connection is where the magic happens. And I think that a lot of people misunderstand NFTs and Web3 as saying, oh, it's just a JPEG. Nah, man, it ain't a JPEG. It's your loyalty membership card to a group of people that are going to create change that are going to do the damn thing. It's about finding your tribe and finding people and figuring out that you are not powerless. You are you can make money while changing the world. Never before has that happened. So I think that game, experiences, brands, and beyond that, we'll wait to see what happens. I'm a bit I'm a bit hairy on this, but when everybody eventually does get a VR headset in their household, not to say you'll use it every day, I don't think a lot of people are going to be living in the metaverse, but that is a level of experience that you can't touch on a, on a 2D screen. I'll give you an example. My, my beautiful wife is an aerospace engineer by trade, and uh, we had a VR headset, and the International Space Station streams a 4K live spacewalk via VR. So you put that headset on, and you actually feel like you're floating around the earth. It creates an emotion and a resonance in your soul that you're like, holy crap. <laughs> you know what I mean? Show that to somebody from the year 1800. Watch, watch them have a heart attack. You know, It's an incredible opportunity we have to actually immerse people in experiences from the comfort of their home. Because I, I don't know how Mark Twain phrased it, but Travel is the antithesis to ignorance. Mm -hmm. And we don't need to be able to buy a flight anymore to travel to new, exotic, incredible environments with this virtual reality experience. You're blowing my mind here. The First, the, the Sony story and then this Mark Twain quote. But yeah. hey, that that's an amazing way to, to sort of sum up the, this entire interview and, and sort of bring this thing to a close. But before we sign off, I really want to give the people the opportunity to connect with you and find out more about Project Act. If you could give us the, the, the last pitch on Project Act and what why people should really be interested in that, and then tell us what, where, where we can find out more about you and, and find out more, more about your company. I'll tell you right now, this is crypto, baby. Funny money don't sleep. So my DMs are open 24 seven. Um, you could reach us at uh, We Are Project Arc on Twitter. You can go to impactnft.org. Uh, which is an organization which I have not uh, touched on yet, but basically 30 second pitch. Um, we're up against big money, big people that are dictating the market. And yet if we were to combine all the best tips, tricks, tools, resources, knowledge, seminal voices, marketplaces, DAOs, projects, NFTs, artists, anything under the sun that are working towards using Web3 for positive impact on the world, gang, gang, let's partner up. Because I'll tell you right now, it's, it's not about dividing the pie. It's about growing the pie. A, a rising tide lifts all boats. When you win, I win. Wag me. We all going to make it. So the Impact NFT Alliance, we did a wonderful project with uh, Lay's PepsiCo. And we got about 300 million impressions on that. We SEO'd the shit out of it. We got a, we got, we're on the first five pages of Google. And we've got about 50 organizations. And some of the most incredible thought leaders in the space is our advisors. And we're going by the day. So anyone out there who wants, who's working on a project that wants to see 
technology used for good, impactnft.org. That's the main one. Uh, Arconauts.io is our PFP project on Solana that we're launching May 19th. We're going to be supporting life underwater and life on land. First project will be recovering World War II munitions dumped off the coast of Hawaii that are giving people and sharks cancer. Uh, and then what the hell is my project art? Project-arc.co. That's the other website you can find me on. And man, just Google it. You're going to find us. Out of the one of the, the multitudes of social media things we have, shoot us a message. I love nothing more than connecting with people that are like-minded, that want to see this thing change. And man, the project's in the pipeline. We got the Coral Reef. We, we're going to be working with uh, uh, Nat Geo Emmy Award-winning for, uh, filmmakers that are going to be showing how 2,000-year-old mother trees talk to one another through the mycelial fungus in the soil uh, in old-growth forests. We've got the relocation of 75 endangered giraffe, 35 rhino. We, man, sky's the limit. I'm excited about this, and I need everybody out there who's listening to join the fight because we ain't got time. Let's make some money. Let's have some fun. Let's make some friends, and let's create some change. Amazing. John, you've had me on the edge of my seat the entire time. You're super passionate about this whole space and about what you're doing. Thank you for being here with us. Thank you for sharing your story. Uh, th thank you for, for telling us about all the, the good that you're doing in the world. Um, um, I know that the audience really enjoyed this conversation. Appreciate having you, buddy. Appreciate you. Thank you so much.